Welcome to The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams, starting with his debut in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. And here's your host, Jeff Cummings. Hello out there and thank you so much for joining me for this first episode of The Baton. Wherever you are in the world, I'm so glad that you took time out of your day to learn more about the great film composer John Williams. This podcast is going to be unlike anything you've heard before. I'm going to take you on a journey through the extensive library of music that John Williams has created. And since 1959, 107 feature-length films contain an original or adapted score by John Williams, considered by just about everyone to be the greatest film composer in history. But... How did he become so highly celebrated? Well, it wasn't easy, and it didn't happen overnight, and this podcast is going to take you through his career in chronological order from that first film in 1959 to the ninth chapter of the Star Wars saga, which will be in theaters later this year. I know many of you are saying, that's great, but why can't you just talk about the popular scores? I would love to do that, but I think it's fun to start at the beginning of his career so you can better understand the hard work he had to do in order to have the career he has now. Think of this as a John Williams biography told through his music. And one more thing, if you're here because you thought this was a podcast devoted to the guitarist John Williams, I hope you will stick around in order to learn about the other John Williams. Now, I wish I could detail the exact moment I came up with the idea to create this podcast, but to be honest, I just don't remember. It all just kind of started as a tiny thought in my mind about early scores written by John Williams and my search to find out more about them. And what I found fascinated me, and I wanted to share some of it with others. So a podcast seemed like the best way to do that. So here's how it will work. Each episode will focus on one film. That means we're looking at 108 episodes, including this one. I will give you a history of each film, some insight into the process of writing the score, and how the score works in the film, with some music clips included. If you're a fan of the composer John Williams, you've likely not heard many of the scores I will talk about on this podcast. I call myself a major John Williams fan, and I didn't even know about a third of the films in which he wrote music. Some of the films were forgotten a week after they premiered in the movie theaters. Others will always be remembered mostly because John Williams was involved in them, but they all deserve equal time in the spotlight. Also, this podcast is not designed to sound like a classroom lecture on film music. I hope you will learn a lot about film music and John Williams over the course of this journey, but I'm not going to break down why John Williams decided to write a score in the key of A minor instead of D major. Or, I'm not going to really talk about the significance of a theme's musical progression through the octave scale and how it impacted film music writing as a whole. I'm not a classically trained musician, so I really couldn't talk about that stuff anyway. We're going to spend about 30 minutes in each episode, and I'm going to present things from the perspective of a film music fan and a John Williams fan. And if you're not a John Williams fan, I think you will become one through this journey, and I know you will recognize some of the amazing music he's written. Of course, everybody knows this famous theme music.
I'm sure you know this one as well. And if you don't know this one well, you must have been living in a cave. And a lot of people know this one as well. And who can forget this wonderful music? And I'd lose a lot of sleep if I forgot to put in this one. I could go on and on just playing clips of John Williams' most popular scores. And you've watched a lot of his films, so you know which ones they are. As of January 2018, four of the top ten grossing films of all time adjusted for inflation feature music written by John Williams. But there were many more that you never knew had his musical fingerprints on them, like the Oliver Stone film starring Tom Cruise, Born on the Fourth of July. You've probably heard of the 1987 film The Witches of Eastwick starring Jack Nicholson, Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer, but did you know John Williams wrote music for that? It's one of my favorite films, and this music tells you why. By the time we get through all 100 plus episodes of this podcast, I hope I will shed some light on what makes a musical genius and also shed some light on what happens behind the scenes in creating a film score. So before we start diving into the film scores of John Williams, it's very helpful, I think, to know about his life before he sat down to compose his first film score. 
John Towner Williams, as he was named, was born on Long Island on February 8, 1932. He lived in a musical household as his father, John Francis Williams, was a jazz percussionist with the Raymond Scott Quintet and a regular percussionist on the TV show Your Hit Parade. Here's a bit of Papa Williams playing drums with the Raymond Scott Quintet. In a recent interview, John Williams talked about the influence his musical father had on his upbringing. My father was a professional musician. He worked in the CBS Orchestra in, in New York City in, in the 1930s and 40s. His friends were all musicians in the orchestra. So I thought when you grew up, you became a musician. That's the only thing, the only kind of adult <laughs> like that, I, that I knew. <laughs> and he used to take me to the radio rehearsals occasionally. I would sit there eight, ten years old. And of course I wanted to do that and try to do, learn, learn from these things. So my life is probably in many ways very similar to yours, Gustavo, because I grew up in the ambience of yeah. music. And so I had so many opportunities because of my parents to have good teachers to have an opportunity to play here, to write there, and so on, that other children would never have. have. Yes, so I certainly have had a very good and very fortunate start. While his father was gaining success, the younger John Williams was naturally learning music and gravitated toward the piano and not the drums like his father. At 16 years old, the Williams family headed to Los Angeles where your hit parade was now filming. The younger John Williams continued his musical studies under the tutelage of Mario Castelnuovo Tedesco, who was not a famous film composer but definitely a prolific one, writing 200 film scores within a span of 20 years. So we'll jump ahead a few years to 1952 when the 20-year-old John Williams was drafted to serve in the U.S. Air Force. The Korean War was going on at the time, but Williams wouldn't be assigned to battle there or anywhere in the world for that matter. Instead, he spent his two years in the Air Force leading an Air Force band in Canada, St. John's, Newfoundland to be specific. Before he headed off to Canada, John spent some time in Tucson, Arizona, which is where I live, and he spent some time working with the Air Force band at Davis-Monthan Air Force Base while also taking a few classes at the University of Arizona. Though we might officially say that 1959 was the year when John Williams officially could call himself a film composer, John Williams actually did some work for a small film in 1954 called You Are Welcome. It's only 21 minutes long, a piece of film designed to bring tourists to the island. There isn't any original music in the film, and John Williams has said in an interview that he had no idea how to compose original music at the time because all he had ever done was arrange existing music for orchestras. So, Williams took a few famous Canadian folk songs and arranged them for his Air Force band. And here's the opening title for that Canadian film, You Are Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. 
When you first hear it, you might think, as I did, that this music was performed by a 50-piece orchestra, but it was the 12-man Air Force band that played this. Even at 20 years old, John Williams had a gift for orchestration and arranging. He would use that keen knowledge to great acclaim in less than 20 years. Now, do you think your Air Force experience prepared you in any way for your Hollywood life? Well, I don't. I don't think there's any question about that. Oh. No, not at all. I mean, I, I, no question. Living in, as we were then, I was living always on the base. I didn't have. I wasn't married, or didn't have any other uh, available housing. And I was quite happy about it. And so we were living with these, with these young players, some of which I had known from Los Angeles, and. Certainly the best way, I think, to learn instrumentation is to live with and play with and study other people as they study their instruments. Right. And so in terms of, of instrumentation and arranging as far as band was concerned, uh, I had a tremendous education in the, in the Air Force in those years that I served there. And uh, I think in my mind reference it still. Really? So, oh, yeah, it was like, it was like being put into a... a the youngsters, all of us, were very excited about music and we were very keen to get back to conservatories, oh, yeah. most of them would come, right. which I did the minute I was discharged and went back to studying and mm -hmm. pretty shortly thereafter working commercially. But it was a wonderful experience musically. So John Williams puts in his time with the Air Force and moves back to New York to enroll in the famed Juilliard School. This is the school for anyone who wants to be a famous performer or musician. The list of celebrities who graduated from that school are endless. The cellist Yo-Yo Ma, trumpet players Miles Davis, the singers Aretha Franklin and Nina Simone, and the legendary violin player Itzhak Perlman. The number of famous actors who come from that school are just as endless, and I'll just name two of my favorites, Robin Williams and Viola Davis. Juilliard is where Williams learned everything he needed to know about music. It's a little unclear, though, if he wanted to be a conductor, orchestrator, arranger, or if he wanted to go back to his roots and be a professional piano player. His focus at Juilliard was the piano, and he honed his craft and paid the bills with many gigs at jazz clubs in Manhattan playing piano. John has said in many interviews that jazz music was pretty much the only genre that appealed to him in his early years. That's not a surprise since his dad was a jazz musician, and jazz was the music genre that the young generation latched onto at the time but the Beatles would put it into that in about 10 years. John Williams immersed himself in jazz so much that when he graduated from Juilliard and headed west to Los Angeles, he was already well-known in Hollywood for the work he did in New York, arranging music and playing jazz piano. This is 1957, and as luck would have it, Henry Mancini was working on music for a new TV series that was to lean heavily on jazz for its score. The TV show was Peter Gunn, and the theme is one of the most famous ever to come from a TV show. Take a listen to part of the theme and pay attention to the piano. That is John Williams playing the piano, our John Williams. 
At 26 years old, John Williams got a big break playing on this very famous theme that would be heard every week on millions of TV sets. And it was his association with Henry Mancini that would help get him into film music. Like Williams, Mancini got his start in the film industry by working as an arranger on many films and even wrote a bit of music before breaking out with Peter Gunn. In the 1960s, Mancini would become a megastar by collaborating with Blake Edwards, the director, on Breakfast at Tiffany's, The Pink Panther, Days of Wine and Roses, and many more. Mancini would develop a friendship with Williams that would last decades. And we'll talk more about that friendship throughout the podcast, including in the episode about Star Wars, when Henry Mancini was there to give John Williams the Oscar for composing the music to Star Wars. While Williams had a lot to be proud of as a small part of the success of the Peter Gunn theme, he had an even happier life outside the recording studio. In 1956, he married singer and actress Barbara Ruick, mostly known for her work in the film adaptations of Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals. In their first year of marriage, they welcomed daughter Jennifer to the world. In 1958, Mark Towner Williams was born. The same year, John Williams' life would start to take a very historic turn. While he was playing piano for Henry Mancini, John Williams was also working as an orchestrator on film scores for other famous composers who would become lifelong friends, such as Jerry Goldsmith, Bernard Herrmann, and Elmer Bernstein. These three were just starting to become household names also, and would definitely do so in the 1960s. And while they were making themselves known in Hollywood, John Williams was right there learning the ropes. He watched as his friend Bernard Herrmann began a lifelong partnership with Alfred Hitchcock and studied his process for writing the score to The Man Who Knew Too Much and Vertigo. He celebrated as Mancini won Grammys for the music to Peter Gunn. All of these composers got their start in Hollywood the same way John Williams did, and all he needed was one original score to get the ball rolling. The question was, which film would that be? In 1958, that question was answered when the influence of his colleagues helped get him the job writing for a very low-budget film called Daddy-O. Finally, John Williams was going to get the opportunity to put his voice on celluloid. And that's where we'll end today's episode. On the next episode of The Baton, we'll officially start our journey through the film scores of John Williams with Daddy-O. Now I invite you to send me your feedback about this or any episode of The Baton. Your feedback will go a long way into determining show content and how we move forward through this journey. You can email me at jeffswim at aol.com or find me on Twitter at jeffswim. You can also hit me up on Facebook or submit a reply on the show's website, thebatonpodcast.podbean.com. That's going to do it for this episode of The Baton. I look forward to seeing you next time. And until then, the baton is down.